All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to the Gospel of John. We are going to look at three different passages in the Gospel of John as we study the disciple Andrew. So throughout the summer and likely leading into the the first part of the fall, uh, we want to walk through the, the disciples that we see in Scripture and ask what we can learn and what God's Word would would show us from from that study. And so tonight we begin with Andrew. Uh, I know I sound like a salesman for the Chosen uh, TV show and miniseries, and now it's an app on your phone, but some of that, watching that series, is what even prompted uh, the idea of, of studying this together throughout the summer. But Amanda the other night, my wife Amanda the other night, was watching an interview that uh, Dallas Jenkins was doing alongside the character who plays Andrew. And I should have looked up his name before getting up here tonight, but this interview with Andrew was interesting because when he read for casting on The Chosen, he read first to be Peter's character. Um, And so he read for that character, and then that didn't pan out, and the gentleman who got Peter that all the ladies chase after and like and, and research and everything like that, he worked out fine for Peter. And then the gentleman who ultimately played Andrew read second from Matthew's part. And Matthew's character on The Chosen is so unique because it portrays Matthew on the autism spectrum and what it looks like for for him to live that out. And the the gentleman that plays Matthew does fascinating things just with even physical acting and the way he moves moves his body and portrays what it looks like to be a disciple and yet yet deal with autism. And so Andrew, the the gentleman who ultimately played that part on on the series, talked about what drew him to the role of Andrew was in fact the way that Andrew has a supporting role in the disciples, that he's not the prominent role, he's not the Peter, he's not the Matthew, he plays the supporting role, but there was something about that aspect of being a disciple of Jesus in a supporting role that really really drew him to that character and the way that he displays that throughout the series. So I want you to think about that as we study Andrew tonight what it looks like to be the first, but also the last. That when you follow Jesus, the first will be last, and the last will be first. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. John 1, 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The name Andrew in Greek, andros, is the word for man or manly. So Andrew is the word for manly. Now this is interesting because as we study Andrew, we're going to see that what our culture 
counts as manly is not at all what you see in the representation of Andrew and the Gospels of what it means to be manly. When Andrew was referred to in the early church, we're talking 200s, 300s, 400s, those early days of the Christian church, he was called the Protokletos. Uh, proto means first. Kletos, Kletos in Greek is the word to be called. Ekklesia, the called ones for the church. Kletos is called. So Andrew was referred to as the first called because by all accounts, he is the first one that Jesus called to come and follow him. How interesting that the one who is called first is going to play a role where he has to display so much humility. There might have been a small part. I, I don't, do we ever find out Going off the top of my head. We don't ever know if Peter or Andrew, who was the oldest, I don't think, in Scripture. Um, I, I don't recall a place that we ever get their age about which one might be older or not. But it's interesting here that Andrew is called, and then he goes and finds his brother. And there in verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon. You shall be called Cephas, be Peter, be the rock. Now, if we're just honest with ourselves, if we're Andrew there and we're called first by Jesus and we go find our brother and bring him and Jesus elevates our brother instead of us, you've got to be honest, there's probably a little pride and ego that's coming to the, to the surface, especially if Andrew happens to be the older brother. And here throughout scripture, you often find the younger is the one who is elevated to a position. And so there's a decent chance here that Andrew is the older brother, and he comes, and you, you know how sibling rivalries go, uh, and, and how birth order impacts things, and so here you have Andrew placed in this position where he is called to humility. He is called to follow Jesus as the first, even though oftentimes in the Gospels, when you see the disciples listed, especially the first four, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, almost every time Andrew is listed fourth when those four are listed together. Here's the one called first, and yet he is placed last. He's being called to this position of humility. Turn over to John chapter 6. I want you to see another example of how this works itself out in the life of Andrew. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Again, that's got to feel like a slap in the face to Andrew. Like, you didn't know it was me? I was the first one, and you've got to refer to me as Peter's brother. Simon Peter's brother said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, 
as much as they wanted. I think here in this story, we see another small glimpse of Andrew's humility. How fascinating that the one who is referred to his, as manly, <laughs> the one who is the first called, is also the one who has made a contact with this little kid here. For him to even recognize this little kid in a setting like this would have been unimaginable. Because in this culture, kids were not the center of the universe like they are in our culture. <laughs> they were pushed far to the side and, and you know, don't speak unless spoken to type, type of a situation, more so than anything we could imagine. And especially the men are not gonna be over there associating with the children. Uh, so when we lived down in New Orleans, one of the summers that, that I was living there in New Orleans, I was the chaplain for the AAA baseball team that was there in, the, in New Orleans. At the time, they were called the Zephyrs. I think now they're called the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Uh, imagine that. For, to make it to the professional baseball ranks and your nickname, your mascot, is the Baby Cake, like the King Cakes that they have there in New Orleans. But I was the chaplain for, uh, for the baseball team that summer. And, and those guys, uh, some of them, their family in AAA would travel with them, but they made very clear to me that as a professional baseball player, it was not their job to take care of the kids. <laughs> like, these guys did not spend a lot of time wondering where their kids were at and what was going on because they were professional baseball players. They had other things going on. In this context, how fascinating there in verse 9 or verse 8 where it says, one of his disciples, Andrew, said to him, hey, there's this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. The, the, the neat part about this story where you have a young child who brings this very small amount and yet Jesus does so much with it. We think, and if I can just get rid of the pronoun we and just put I, <laughs> I think for Jesus to do something great, I need to be really impressive. Like I, I need to bring a lot to the table. And I can't tell you how many times in the last year uh, loaves and fishes ha has just been in front of me. Just remember, Owen, loaves and fishes, loaves and fishes. Uh, the counselor I go see uh, periodically for, for anxiety, the counselor I go see has a big painting up behind his chair, behind his desk, and he makes us start every time by saying, Owen, the painter who painted that painting, what did he use? He used a paintbrush. Owen, in the world, are you the painter or the paintbrush? I'm the paintbrush. God's the painter. I know this. Like, loaves and fish. I'm the paintbrush. God's the magnificent painter who creates masterpieces. Remembering that when we come, bringing a little boy, <laughs> leaning, bringing loaves and fish, God does so much with it. He takes our humility. He takes what we bring when we're surrendered completely to him, and he does incredible things with it. And I'm so encouraged by that part of Andrew's story. Let me just show you one more thing about Andrew's story that stands out. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So Andrew encounters Jesus. He goes and finds his brother and takes him to Jesus. He lives, frankly, what looks like a, a, a pathway of humility. He doesn't get the attention. He's not the prominent one. He's not going to be the rock. He's not going to be John. He's he has a humble path, but watch where it leads here in John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. A couple of things that make that little passage so interesting. The Gospel of John divides into two halves, two parts, uh, not proportionally based on words, but it very famously comes in two halves, 1 through 12 and 13 through the end. What, 21? 13 to 21. So the beginning of John has that series of I am statements, uh, those different places where Jesus is revealing. It talks a lot about my hour has not come, my time has not come. So 1 to 12 is its own section. And then in 13, it transitions to that upper room discourse and how Jesus is teaching the disciples and washes their feet. And so what you have right here, just before this passage, if you've got your phone or Bible open, you'll see just before this, The Pharisees are uh, struggling there in verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This idea that Jesus' mission is going to be more than just to the Jews. It's going to be to the whole world. And then immediately, what do you see happen? Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is John's way of saying, yeah, that's exactly what's happened. The whole world has gone after him. And they go and they find Philip, and Philip goes and finds Andrew and takes these Greeks to Jesus. Why? What's the reason? Philip and Andrew are the only two disciples who have Greek-based names. All the other disciples have Hebrew or Aramaic-based names. So these Greeks, these people who didn't fit in with the Jews, they weren't going to be a part of the inner circle. They were coming from the outside, and Jesus is going to draw them to himself, these these Gentiles who will come in. They found the guys that they could associate with. They found the ones who had these Greek names, and it says specifically that they were from Bethsaida. Philip is, but we also know that, that Peter and Andrew are from Bethsaida. The reason that matters is if you do your best imaginary promised land map in your head, There's the Jordan River that runs along the east side, and then up there on the northeast side, you've got the Sea of Galilee. And up on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, where the Sermon on the Mount would have taken place, you're getting up into Bethsaida. What's interesting is, you're only a few miles from what they would have considered as pagan country. (laughs) You're only a few miles from what in the uh, Gospels is sometimes called the Decapolis, those 10 cities, those 10 pagan Gentile cities that were just outside the Jewish territory. Bethsaida is right on the edge of that. Philip and Andrew would have known what it was like to interact with people who were coming from this Gentile background. So here, Jesus has called Andrew, he's called Philip, and he's put them in a position where his worldwide mission, they're going to be right on the doorstep of it. These guys who are supposed to be manly, are humble, they're interacting with kids, they're dealing with fish and bread, and Jesus puts them right on the doorstep of what it looks like for his worldwide mission to happen. Now, our stories about Andrew pretty much start to run out at this point. However, 
in the early church, you had the development of some of these uh, apocryphal books, some of these false stories that started to come up because they thought all the disciples should get to have a book, uh, and some of the disciples didn't get to have a gospel of Andrew. And so you have a document that appears in the early church called the Acts of Andrew. And one of the things we find in the Acts of Andrew is legend has it that Andrew went, no surprise here, to Greece. Uh, to be a missionary. Now, we don't have that grounded in any type of historical fact or anything from the Bible, but the stories are that, that Andrew went into the Greek area, uh, that he went up into what we would have known as southern Russia, around the Black Sea, that he went into that area, and that ultimately he was crucified on a cross shaped like an X. So if you see a picture, a painting, of one of the disciples on a cross shaped like an X, so not up and down, but like an X. That's historically been associated with Andrew. The country of Scotland, if you think about the Scottish flag, it's white and it has that blue X running across it, that's called St. Andrew's Cross. So the history of Andrew being martyred on a cross shaped like an X, his connection with humility goes even to the legend of his death, that he did not want to be crucified on a cross like Jesus, and so they leaned it on its side, and that's how he died, even in a place of humility. So what do we learn about Andrew? We learn that when you follow Jesus, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Here's one who had every reason to be egotistical and prideful, and yet he was used by the Lord, and when it came time for the mission to advance, Jesus put him and Philip right on the front door and said, hey, I'm going to use you guys to see this happen. And I don't know about you all, but it's good news to know that we're not the painter, that we're the paintbrush. And it's good news to know that we don't have to live up to our culture's idea of what it means to be prideful and manly and egotistical, that Jesus takes us right where we are and does great things with us. Let me pray for us. I'm going to give Jaron time to get up here and get set up, and we're going to sing one final hymn together before we're dismissed. Father, thank you for what we learned from the disciple Andrew in Scripture. Uh, someone who shows us what it looks like to humbly follow after Jesus. Um, God, let that be true of us. We know how quickly our pride can get the best of us. We know how quickly ego can step in and we want to be recognized and we want to be impressive and we want to be liked and and at the end of the day, loaves and fish. You are the great creator and artist. God, we're the paintbrush. You work and you make masterpieces that only you can make. And so, Father, we want to be used by you. We want to be used by you to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, just like Andrew and Philip were used. Um, and so whether you use our name, whether you use our hometown, whether you use our connection with little children, Whatever it is, God, that you would use that to see the gospel spread. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.